Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Our passage this morning is James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bids into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I am Scott Montgomery. I'm one of the ruling elders here at our church. Welcome. Uh, welcome to those that are with us online this morning on Zoom. We're glad you're here too. And uh, so I'm going to be uh, preaching through this passage that we've just read from James chapter 3. And I want to tell you the points, the main points of my sermon or where I'm headed with how this sermon will go before we really jump in. So first, uh, since we're leaving the book of Genesis and we're suddenly arriving in the book of James, let's take a few moments to learn a bit more about James as a person. So we'll talk a, a few moments about James the person. And then we'll spend a few moments talking about James the book and how this passage from James 3 fits into the context and the flow of the book of James. Then we'll spend some time looking at our passage of James 3, uh, with some summary and comments there. And we'll notice as we look at the passage that it has some reminders for us from none other than the book we have been in, the book of Genesis. So we'll look at those echoes and listen to them from the book of Genesis. And we'll also think about our future and what God has for us in the future before we wrap it up with some ways to apply 
this passage to our lives ourselves. So I'm speaking now directly to our young worshipers. Young worshipers, this passage today that we are reading from James chapter 3, James, the person, was one of the brothers of Jesus. And what do you think it would be like to grow up with Jesus as your brother? Do you think you would like it? And I'm I'm talking to the young worshipers. Do we have any answers? Do you think you would like having Jesus as your brother that you're growing up with? Any answers? Pluses and minuses I'm getting. Okay. Okay, I'll take that answer. Yeah, yeah. All right. And uh what would it be like to have a brother who doesn't sin? That's a big question that I think none of us know what it would be like. We can't imagine it because we all sin. He's the only one who was without sin. And so we we don't know. We don't know what that would be like. But But my mind kind of immediately starts to go to the idea of it would be terrible. I would, I would hate it because I would always feel so bad and guilty around him because I'm so sinful and he's not. That's where I, that's where I want to go with that question of what it would be like to have a brother who is without sin. But when we read the Bible and we read the gospel accounts of what Jesus was like and his ministry among us, uh, we don't see that among the people that came into contact with him. We see that people loved to be with him, that people wanted to be with him, especially people who knew they were sinful. And when we think about that and how the Bible describes him in that way, I think that we can we can take from that that it was it was probably a good, it was a good feeling. It was a good thing to have Jesus as his brother. Well, another thing that the Bible tells us about Jesus' brothers is that they didn't believe in him. And even when he was an adult and had revealed that he was the son of God, the savior of the world. And James would have been among those brothers. The Bible doesn't tell us anything otherwise. It doesn't say uh, all of his brothers didn't believe in Jesus except for James. The Bible doesn't say that. It says none of his brothers believed in him. Uh, So James would have been among those brothers who didn't believe in Jesus. But the Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared after his resurrection to many people. And among those that he made his appearance to, he appeared to our James that were in his book this morning. And we don't know at what moment James believed in Jesus, but that would have been a very likely moment to have his resurrected savior brother appear to him after the resurrection. And James became the main leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he had a, another sort of a special name uh, that people gave to him. Does anyone here have a nickname? 
Any young worshiper? Okay, Chip, do you, do you, do you want to keep it secret? Is it top secret or do you want to tell it to us? Oh, Chip is the nickname. There it is. Okay. We call you by your nickname. I see. Great. Okay. It's no secret then. Uh, great. So, so James here, he had another name, which was just James the Just. James the Just. And uh, that tells us something of his character. And people who have studied the history here have have said that he prayed a lot. He spent a lot of time in prayer. And young worshipers, has anyone seen a camel? Camel? Yeah? In person? In person you've seen a camel. Okay, we've got some Putnams that have seen a camel in person. Okay, great. So... Since you have that direct experience, I want to ask you, did you pay any attention to the camel's knees? Did, what do you think their knees are like? Do you think their knees are smooth and polished? Or do you think they would be something, what, what, no? Bumpy, okay. Ah, okay. And where did you see this camel or camels in person? Oh, wow. So right here in Portland. They rode one. Wow. That's very, a lot of experience here for, for Portland. Okay. I'm impressed. Okay. So we've heard then straight from people who have been around a camel that that its knees were not very smooth. It was rough. And I'm asking all of this about camels because, again, the people who have, uh, who were historians that were recording history around the time of James said that his knees were like a camel's knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. Camel's knees because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. How about that? Well, we're not done with James yet. We'll take a few more moments thinking about him and his life. Uh, the Bible, or not the Bible, tradition outside of the Bible, history outside of the Bible says that James was killed because of his Christian faith in the year AD 62. The Pharisees, remember the Pharisees, they were still around even in the year AD 62, and they uh, asked James in Jerusalem to stand up in front of the crowd that was gathered for Passover and to tell everyone, and that was in that multitude, that crowd that could be there, what James believed about Jesus. Pressure's on. We know that the Pharisees were not in favor of Jesus and what he, uh, the movement that came from him, Christianity. And so James knew that the Pharisees would not be favorable towards what he believed in Jesus. And then there was that whole crowd of people who had gathered for Passover. And James boldly gave testimony according to the tradition, the history, and gave testimony of his belief in Jesus. And because of that, he was killed and uh, put to death in front of the crowd. And that is the man that the Holy Spirit inspired 
to write this book that we are in this morning. So let's talk about this book a bit now. A couple of things about the book in general. Uh, one thing is, and this should not surprise us now, as we especially think about him being one of Jesus' brothers, is that there are a lot of parallels, a lot of connections between this book and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, scholars find at least 10 different connections between the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount. And another thing, too, that they've noticed about the book of James is that, well, first of all, it has 108 verses. And out of those 108 verses, there are over 50 direct commands. Do this. Don't do that. That kind of language. Imperatives for those that know about grammar and all of that. And so James was clearly then a man who was interested in his readers, in us being doers of the word and not just hearers. So let's see now how our passage fits into the flow of James. In chapter 1, and if you do have a way to see James, more of James than just our passage, I'd invite you to be looking in James chapter 1, and I'll read for us a few verses there. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 18. Let's listen to this verse, James 1, 18. Let's see what we hear here about God and his word. It says, he, he God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18, it starts off in, early in the book telling us something about God and his word, and it's that his word is true. His word is true. And then we come to the next verse, James 1, verse 19, and it tells us something about how we should be with our speaking. And that verse 19 says, My dear brothers... Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hmm. God is, his word is true. Next verse. We better be quick to listen and slow to speak. Hmm. We better be more careful. And then, Toward the end of chapter 1, we have a verse that sets the tone or even the premise for our passage today. So that's James chapter 1, verse 26, which says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So to sum up what we've seen here in chapter 1, we have a verse showing what God's speech is like. We have a verse showing how careful we need to be when we speak. And we have a verse saying that if we aren't careful with our tongues, we deceive ourselves and our religion is worthless. And then we come to chapter 2. And especially toward the end of chapter 2, we have a section there which talks about that relationship between faith and works or deeds. And it tells us that faith without works is dead. And then immediately following that, 
we have our passage, chapter 3, which could cause us to say then that one of the works where we show our faith is alive is how we use our tongue. Chapter 2, faith and works. Faith without works is dead. Talk about the tongue next. How are we using our tongue? Is our tongue showing that our faith is alive? And then after our passage, the end of chapter 3, we have a comparison between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, which also fits well because it's, we've, we, we've go, excuse me, we go through this passage about the tongue and our struggle with our tongue. And then we talk about wisdom and it's a reminder to be calling out to God and asking God to give us his heavenly wisdom for how we use our tongue. So now we're ready to look at our passage more closely. And first thing to notice here is that James is like Jesus with how he's using a lot of images or pictures from the natural world that would be familiar to his audience to make his points. And we can see from our worship guide that our passage has four paragraphs. And I'm going to touch on each one here for us for a few moments. So in verses one and two, our first paragraph, it starts off talking about people who are doing what I'm doing right now, teaching God's word and telling people like me right now to be careful. We'll be judged more strictly. Well, we're, we're opening our mouths a lot as we teach. And we're opening our mouths a lot about God and his word. There's a lot that could go wrong with those two things. And, and also as a teacher of God's word, our goal, our goal is to influence our listeners. I'm here to influence you right now today, hopefully through the power of the spirit. And, and that's, that influence can also be something that is good or evil. So we who are teachers need to be careful because we'll be judged more strictly. And then also in verse two, it talks about a standard of perfection. What is that? To never be at fault in what we say. So then we have our second paragraph where it gives some more images, horses, ships, fire. We have comparisons here saying the tongue is like each of these. And uh, I decided to ask Wikipedia about our tongue a little bit here. So uh, it tells me that the tongue is an average of about four inches long. I think we probably could have guessed that, but I've got a tougher one for you. How much do you think the tongue weighs? If you put it on, if you put a tongue on a scale, on a balance, how much do you think the tongue weighs? Yeah, Chris. Chris is so close. That was a very good guess. You, if I was uh, giving out money for good guesses, you would have uh, gotten a payment there. That was good. Okay. So what, uh, what my sources said were that there, there's actually a different weight between a male tongue and a female tongue. Uh, so the male tongue is supposed to be an average of about 2.5 ounces and a female tongue is two ounces. 
So uh, that's not very much, though. That's that that wouldn't uh, tip the scales very heavily. So um, why am I talking about Wikipedia and what it says about our tongue? Well, the the point on that is just that it's so small in comparison to the rest of us, both in terms of size, in terms of weight, but yet we know what it can do. The bit in a horse's mouth, the bridle, is small, and yet it can control where that horse will go. The rudder of a ship is small, and yet it will control that huge ship and where it will go. And a spark is small, but we know where it can go and what it can cause. I remember, I don't remember what year it was. I want to say it was about four years ago or thereabouts that there were the big fires going on out in the gorge on this side of the gorge and that sparks would make it all the way across the Columbia River over into Washington and start fire over there. Sparks would cause a roaring fire. And the passage is telling us that our tongues are often used to start, basically start fires like that. Then we come to our third paragraph where it tells us that there's other wild things that are being tamed, have been tamed, but not the tongue. I remember when I was about six or seven years old that I got to go to the Memorial Coliseum here in Portland. That was the big place to go before the Moda Center existed. And at the, at the Memorial Coliseum, I got to see the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. That's a mouthful. But I got to go to that circus at least once, and I got to see how there was a man who would go into a cage, and he would be surrounded by tigers and lions, and he had a whip. And he would get those lions and tigers to do all kinds of things, including jumping through a flaming ring and... Then they would bring out the elephants, and the elephants would do amazing things and bend down, and I can't remember what all, but it was incredible to see that at that circus here in Portland. And also later on, uh, in an earlier time in Shirley's and my marriage, we had the chance to go to SeaWorld down in San Diego, and we got to see the Shamus show at SeaWorld and see this giant orca whale doing all kinds of stunts in the water for us and uh, getting people soaked wet in a certain few areas of the area where that happened. But those were amazing times to see these animals that are so wild and see them be tamed. But even though things like that happen, we think about our tongues. And James points out, we don't do very well with taming it. And then we come to verses 9 through 12, our final paragraph, where the same tongue praises God and curses men. Who have been made in God's likeness. And he makes more comparisons, more images and and pictures from nature like Jesus. One of our Bible readings this morning was from Luke 6, Jesus talking. These are very similar. Comparing between fresh and salt water from the same spring, or a fig tree and olives and grapevines and figs. And James is pointing out inconsistencies, things that are impossible that don't happen in nature. 
And in the same way, our tongues should not bless God and curse others. So what's the good news in this passage? Well, let's talk about what James doesn't do here. James, he doesn't say to us something like, uh, everybody, it's really hard, but just try a little harder. You can do this. I, James, believe in you and know that you can tame your tongue. Just try a little harder. And furthermore, I have three steps for you to get you there. So just follow my three steps and you'll be able to tame your tongue. James does not do that. He just lays out our problem for us and tells it the way it is. It makes it where we have the choice of being hopeless because we haven't tamed our tongues and we know that's true. Or we have the choice of being hopeful in our Savior who is able to help us. We cast ourselves upon him and depend on him. So let's go now to some reminders that James is giving us from Genesis. First in verses 7 and 8, he reminds us of the mandate that we have in Genesis 1.28, where God said in Genesis 1, Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So James is helping us see that we have made some progress with that, and we have ruled over many creatures, but there is still that part of ourselves that we haven't tamed. That's one echo from uh, Genesis 1. And then in verse 9, he reminds us about something else from Genesis. When in verses 9, actually 9 through 12, he's saying it's wrong to bless God and curse man. And what reason does he give for why it's wrong? Why does he say it's wrong for us? To bless God and curse man of the same mouth. You don't have to answer out loud. I'll let, I'll let, I'll answer for us, but, but, uh, it's wrong because of the fact that we're all made in the image of God. And so we tend to minimize this and think to ourselves, Oh, what's the big deal if I say something wrong about some? If I say something bad about someone, or if I talk mean to someone, what's the big deal? I'm not not hurting them, and so we can we can do that. But James is reminding us of the importance of the image of God, and that if we bless God because He is God, we should also be blessing His image bearers instead of cursing those who bear his image. I recently was able to read a book called The Life We're Looking For by Andy Crouch. And in that book, he has a part where he talks about how there was a time when he was regularly traveling through the Chicago O'Hare Airport. I think he said he was doing it about once a week. And he decided for himself that on one particular trip when he was in the Chicago O'Hare Airport that he was he was going to look at people 
as they were around him in the airport, and he was going to remind himself with everyone that he looked at that that person is an image bearer. And uh, I don't know if you've been in the Chicago O'Hare airport. I have more than once, and it's a very, very busy airport full of people any hour of the day pretty much and uh, very crowded, always people coming and going. So I can't imagine how busy he was, but he was looking at people coming and going by him, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer, no matter what they looked like, no matter where they were from, no matter what their background was like, whether they looked like him or not, image bearer, image bearer. And that was what he was telling himself over and over. And he said that it really made an impact on him as he considered every single person he came across as an image bearer. And so I ask us, how conscious or aware are we of this? How much do we think about our fellow humans as image bearers? Is there someone in your life that you have a hard time thinking of as an image bearer. And if we thought of each other more this way, how would it impact how we talk to one another? So what hope do we have in this? We talked earlier about how this passage can leave us hopeless, thinking about our own ability to tame the tongue. It can leave us hopeful in our Savior, and that we can cry out and cast ourselves upon him to help us in this? What else? What what other hope do we have here? Well, let's listen to this idea. Let's think about Jesus. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. And so in terms of image bearers, he is the exact image because he is God. And he has no sin. And we are also image bearers, but we are not exact image bearers for because we're not God. We know that. And we're our sin distorts his image in us. But the good news is that that sin won't always distort his image in us. Here's a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness. Likeness equals image. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's happening even now. We're being transformed into that image of God. It's distorted but it's there and it's we're, we know Jesus as our Savior. We're being transformed from the inside out. So we come now to some applications. As God's image bearers, there will come a day when we will have victory over our tongues. Our words, our way of speaking will be fully redeemed. And even though we struggle with and sin with our tongues now, We can ask God for wisdom to speak well. We can cast ourselves upon him in this area of life. And we started 
out this sermon wondering what it would be like to have Jesus as our brother. We thought about James and how he lived here on this earth with Jesus as his brother. And even though Jesus isn't our earthly brother like he was for James, he is our spiritual brother. One more verse to think about for that. Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's where the Bible, one of the places where the Bible is telling us that we are Jesus's brothers. He is our brother. Maybe you're here today and you're skeptical about Jesus, just like his brothers were. Maybe you don't believe in him, but you're here today and you're thinking about it. And so maybe you're wondering, could he really be who he said he is, the son of God? And the question for you is, will you believe in him? Will you believe in him? Will we bring our tongues into submission to the Lord? Will we let him bridle our tongues? Will we honor the image of God in others with our tongues? When you think about the people you know in your life, maybe there's someone in your life where it's very easy for for you to just kind of easily, quickly be able to say bad things about that person when they're not around. Maybe it's easy for you to say mean things to them when you're with them. If you can picture someone like that in your life today, This is a time to say, God, help me to see that person as your image bearer. Help me to bless that person. How will you let this passage change the way you speak? Let's pray.